Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Pro Wrestling Punditry, because we are going to slam it into your ear holes here today. I am your managing editor of Wrestling Inc., Nick Hausman, back to host the final Winkly of the week, and I am joined here by my good friend, my very good buddy, uh, what is my latest 90s reference here, the uh, the uh, Raphael to my Michelangelo, it is Justin Labar. Justin, welcome back to the Winkly. More Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Well, yesterday was Ninja Turtles too. This was this was more of a general Ninja Turtles reference. Why can't I be the uh, Slater to oh. your Zach Morris? Because I loved your tweet. I actually gave your tweet a shout out last night, not only on Twitter, but I gave it a shout out on the uh, on, our, on our post AEW talk on the podcast because I loved it. I felt bad. So the tweet was I said that Cody, because he was wearing the all white, uh, you know, beach, uh, what is it, a linen suit, white linen suit? The Miami Vice Don yeah. Johnson look. You know. uh, and with the white hair, the blonde hair and everything, I said that Cody looks like. If uh, Zach Morris, what was it? Zach Morris grew up to sell cocaine in Daytona Beach. Um, into which I, into which I, I continued and said, yes, he's selling it to Jesse Spano so she can stay up for those tests. She can yeah. ditch the caffeine pills. And here's the unfortunate thing about I'm that tweet. <laughs> yes, you, you want to sing the song? Go ahead, go ahead, sing the song. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so Jesse. So, Jesse. Jesse. I'm so scared. <laughs> uh yeah so uh i i felt bad i i mean i saw it i thought it i was like that's a hilarious tweet you have to tweet that but i felt bad because uh i used the word cocaine and like cody sold cocaine so i didn't use any of the tags i couldn't tag the site it still found a it still found an audience though a couple hundred people so go figure uh that's all fun i did enjoy that i did enjoy that tweet uh thank you uh, well, we are going to have a great show here to close out the week. Uh, we are going to talk some big AEW news here in a little bit. Uh, we have two more uh, big interviews here for you here today uh, later on. Uh, but before we get to anything, uh, I absolutely wanted to start the show by sending our condolences to the family and friends of WWE Hall of Famer Rocky 
Soul Man Johnson. Uh, Rocky was 75. Uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club uh, made the announcement. Uh, WWE released the following statement. They said, WWE is saddened to learn that Rocky Soul Man Johnson, born Wade Douglas Bowles, a WWE Hall of Famer, former World Tag Team Champion, and father of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, has passed away at 75. Johnson's sports entertainment career began in the mid-1960s when he made a memorable impression in the NWA. However, Johnson found his highest levels of success when he began his WWE tenure in 1983. The physically imposing and wildly charismatic Johnson had several memorable rivals with the likes of Greg the Hammer Valentine, Don Morocco, and Adrian Adonis. He found his greatest success when he teamed up with Tony Atlas as the Soul Patrol. The two men became the first African-American world tag team champions in WWE history, and they defeated the Wild Samoans on December 10, 1983. The Soul Man retired from the ring in 1991, but his imprint continued to be felt on WWE for years to come. Post-retirement, Johnson had a hand in training his son, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the Rock would, beca- would become one of the biggest stars in the history of sports entertainment and carried on his father's legacy with pride. In 2008, Johnson achieved the highest honor in sports entertainment when he was inducted by The Rock into the WWE Hall of Fame, where he will be forever enshrined as one of sports entertainment's most influential performers. WWE extends its condolences to Johnson's family, friends, and fans. Um, now, uh, we recently, uh, actually, it was just uh, it was late September, early October. Um, I had the chance to interview uh, Rocky here for uh, Wrestling Inc. for the Winkley um, because his uh, biography uh, was just about to be released. Uh, it's called Soul Man, the Rocky Johnson Story. Um, and uh, considering the timing, how recently the interview was, I mean, I, I looked around. I think this is definitely one of the last handful of interviews he did. Uh, we are going to be replaying that interview here at the very end of the show. So we'll do our interviews for the show here. We'll do our little bit at the end. And then when Justin and I are done, we're going to finish out the show here today. Uh, with Rocky's uh, interview that we did again here just a couple months ago. Um, but before we do that, uh, before we play the interview later on, um, uh, since we just uh, did WWE statement, Justin, have you had a chance to read uh, Rocky's book? Any chance you read Soul Man? I haven't. I, and I remember when you did the interview uh, a few months ago, I remember you talking about how you, you were you know, you're reading it quite quickly uh, yeah. and enjoying it and trying to you know, finish it before interviewing him. Uh, I haven't. I, he's, he's one of the... He's one of the um, you know, I've been able, I'm fortunate enough to meet and or interview a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys that are legends. Uh, he's one that I never got to, um, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, yeah so I, I didn't know. I, I, I never knew this. I never knew that he. Uh, I never knew that was his birth name. I never knew that Wade Douglas Bowles was his birth name. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. No, he he picked the name Rocky Johnson, and um, it's a. I would highly recommend the book. Um, I, it was probably one of the better uh, wrestling biographies or autobiographies I've read. Uh, he's just such a compelling character because especially when he was coming up uh, in the mid-60s, there were a lot of uh, African-American stereotypes, we'll put it that way, in pro wrestling, and he did not want to go that route and uh, really kind of helped pave the way for a lot of African-Americans to be treated uh, as athletes in pro wrestling. So uh, anyway, before we get to everything else here, since we uh, we got a little time here just at the moment, Justin, it's only about three pages long, and it's pretty big print, but I'd like to read you and everybody else out there the foreword uh, to Rocky's book. It's one of my favorite things I've read. Is that okay? You want to take a moment here? You pour a cup of coffee? Sure. Sure. Okay. So this is forward. Uh, no, wait. That's the forward by The Rock. Let me make sure I get this right here. What is it? He wrote the acknowledgments, the prologue. Okay, never mind. 
I, I thought that I was like, I don't remember it being three pages long. The foreword was written by his son, a three pages long. This is the prologue, and um, this is only a page. So this will be uh, much briefer, like I expected. So here we go. The prologue to his book. Furpo Zabisco, Sweet Daddy Seeky, and I were on our way to Edmert, Ed, Edmonton, Alberta. Dave Rule was driving. Seeky was a heel, but the rest of us were baby faces, so it was against the rules for us to be riding with him. Dave began arguing with Seeky. Somebody told me you were out with my wife. They argued all the way to Edmonton, and on the way back, they picked up where they'd left off. They were really screaming at each other. Dave finally said, I've had enough, and steered the car over onto the side of the road. Seeky shouted, let's get out and settle it. At that point, Furpo said, let's see if we can talk sense into them before one of them does something stupid. As we got out, Dave pulled out a gun and proceeded to shoot Seeky twice in the chest. Furpo turned and yelled at me, run! I took off down the road and ran at least 100 yards before I stopped and looked back. As I watched, Seeky stood up and faced me. It took me several seconds before I realized I had been the victim of a practical joke. And I was the only person in the car who didn't know it was all a rib. Dave had loaded the gun with blinks. That story circulated from territory to territory, and I heard about it for several years. That's just like a little taste. Uh, first of all, that's what he wanted to start his book off with, was the time he got ribbed because <laughs> his friends decided to load a real gun with blank bullets and convince them that one had murdered the other, Justin. Isn't that insanity? <laughs> Life on the road. You got to entertain each other, right? <laughs> oh, my God. You talk about a different time, right? Like, yeah, right. what a look. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, uh, (laughs) you know, you got Baron Corbin and Roman Reigns in the same car and you're sitting in the back and they fake an argument and Corbin pulls over the side of the road and shoots Roman (laughs) twice with a gun. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be on TMZ in a minute. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to share that uh, as incentive for you guys to read the book. It is one of the the funniest ways I've ever read a book uh, started and uh, a good look into kind of the tone and the tenor of what you can expect from it. Um, So anyway, we will hear from Rocky here later on the show. Uh, Also here, uh, before we get to the interviews, I want to remind you, we are going to be making a big announcement. I can assure you it's on Monday because the RSS feed uh, got it fixed yesterday, Justin. I still don't want to make the announcement, but I will say that this show in some form here Moving to five days a week with its own RSS feed. We'll have that Monday before Raw on the site with all the details, uh, a lot of new info. You guys are in for a ride. Uh, but here today on the and, show. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I get a shirt. Yeah, you get a shirt. Yeah, there's going to be shirts. There's going to be shirts. There's going to be shirts. Uh, all right. We got uh, two big uh, pieces of audio here, interviews uh, after the news. The first right after uh, the news here, you're going to hear from him. Dan Housen, one of the most ethereal characters currently in independent wrestling, he's going to present uh, WrestleMania with Warhorse during WrestleMania weekend. I uh, can't wait to hear from Dan Housen here, or, or to, I can't wait to play for you all what I heard from Dan Housen here later in the show. Uh, very fun chat. And uh, we're also going to play here for you later in the show uh, the full audio from Impact Wrestling Tag Team Champions, uh, the North's pre-Impact Wrestling Hard to Kill Media Scrum. Uh, this is a, a good 15-minute chat with Ethan and uh, Josh. There's like a little bit of talk about their match at Hard to Kill, but it's largely them kind of talking about their uh, desire to rebuild uh, Impact's tag team division in the wake of LAX leaving, um, what their plans are, 
um, and the TNA pay-per-view that Ethan Page is working on and, and so much more. So you guys are going to love that here as well. But let's get to it. News you can use, news to leave a bruise. Uh, the Wrestling Observer reporting here that AEW's new extension is said to be for four years with Warner Media. It is for $175 million, just under $45 million a year. Uh, the deal also includes TNT having an option for 2024 or 2024 at a significantly increased price. Uh, this new deal will make AEW profitable in 2020 and uh, for years to come, it looks like, unless they, you know, blunder it, overpay people, make their contracts weak. Um, it's not the lock that the new AEW show will air on TNT, uh, but actually we'll get to that here in just a second. So Dave had some disputed facts here before uh, we'd had some uh, uh, more concrete news uh, breaking out, but those were the numbers he put out about the deal, which are, Justin, $45 million a year for a brand new television product for uh, for four years? That's very impressive. That's a huge that's a huge investment here for Warner Media. Yeah, yeah, no, it's nothing to nothing to take lightly. Yeah, it's, it's a big investment. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm real curious. You know, I, you, I I don't you know you don't expect I don't expect AEW obviously to be like you know profitable in the first year, maybe not even necessarily the first two years. You know, I, but I mean this you know cause you, you know they're not torn they're not touring like WWE does in terms of the amount of live events. That's that's a lot of a lot of gate money you're not getting. Um, but you know, yeah, getting some significant money here for a TV deal. Uh, obviously, you know, whatever they get out of the, the the portion they get of the of the pay-per-view buys, which are you know, which are traditional kind of pay-per-view prices, um, depending on how you order it. Uh, I mean, yeah, this 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 is a good sign. Uh, both for the security of they're going to be around for, um, you know, you know, for the for the years coming, and the fact that they have money. You know, this is a good sign, a good a good a good good signal for them to hopefully eventually get themselves uh, into the black. Yeah, and exactly. And uh, on that note as well with Dave, I just wanted to point out, he said that the new show, the secondary show that we had talked about yesterday that could be announcing, uh, he said that it's going to be not AEW Dark and they're going to do four hours of filming a week for all these shows. Um, so there were some disputed facts here in Dave's report about what the content of the new show is going to be because uh, Turner president Kevin Riley uh, was at the Television Critics Association uh, last night. He spoke to the press. I'm going to try to credit both outlets correctly here. If I got any of the comments from uh, Kevin uh, incorrectly cited, feel free to let me know. Uh, but the rap uh, talked to Kevin here, um, who uh, who commented on AEW Dark's future, saying that AEW Dark is going to air weekly on TNT, so that looks to be the secondary show, uh, but it may not air for 52 weeks a year due to other programming on TNT, like, you know, if the Christmas... Uh, uh, story marathon happens or a big basketball game or something like that would be preempted. Uh, he elaborated on the plan to add changes to AEW Dark before bringing it to cable TV. He said, we're going to embellish AEW Dark and put some additional material kind of behind the scenes, kind of docu-follow stuff, if you will, um, about the athletes and the stories. I, I popped that he had an if you will here in his comment like uh, Dusty Rose. So um, anyway, uh, we'll start with that, Justin. This is kind of a hybrid of what we were discussing yesterday as far as, like, um, having some in-ring action, but more of the, you know, road to type stuff they've been doing online as well. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to go. You know, give a little in-ring action, uh, which, which allows, you know, you know, just obviously with Dynamite only being, you know, Dynamite's two hours, but you, you can only cram so many, you know, uh, so many matches in there. So a chance to get some more talent, some, uh, some in-ring time, but also, again, do what AEW's been doing pretty well, which is... Um, whether it's the the goofy but but effective storytelling that they do with being the elite, or whether it's 
you know, some more pre-produced stuff like they've done, like with uh, the Dark Order or or what have you. I mean, yeah, kind of kind of blend it all together. I, I'll be interested to see what night they put it on, what, what where where it airs, because like you said, and like he said, you know, with TNT, there's other investments TNT has with basketball, with you know, with with what and 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 movies they run and whatever. So like where they decide to put it, and they think that it'll be most effective and, and least disturbed, um, will be interesting to see. One second. I'm getting a text message here from Bill After, who is very good friends with Rocky Johnson. I'm going to see if he'll come on the show. If not, I'm actually recording. You want to come on? <laughs> we'll see what he says. Uh, anyway, yes, uh, I agree with that. And you mentioned the Dark Order stuff there just before I briefly got distracted by Bill. Um, how was it, was it a little weird for you last night that they did like the infomercial where they like talked about how they were going to destroy the elite and it was like paid for by the Dark Dark Order? Like, why would? Why would AEW allow that? I'm sure that they, you know, knew the <laughs> knew the spot, right? Well, no. I mean, come on. It's it's no different than than the NWO paying for the announcements and they crash in on Nitro. You know, it, it's you know. Oh wait, I... it's a dark order. Who knows? You know, they 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 they, they hijacked the production truck for a second. Make sure that make sure their message was played. Oh, got it. All right. Well, uh, back to the comments here from Kevin. Uh, Variety chatted with him uh, about the new and improved AEW Dark. Uh, he said that it's not going to air on Monday nights against WWE Raw for anybody who had speculated. And again, Tony Khan had been pretty open about how uh, he didn't want to run on Monday nights or really against any football because, you know, he has a vested interest in football, having his family own their own professional football team. Uh, but maybe, I, I don't know, what do you think, SmackDown? I don't, what, do you think they'd run another show against another WWE program or try to find an off night? Well, uh, it's weird. I mean, you, I mean, Friday's, again, we, we talk about even now SmackDown. Friday's not like a... A great nights. So I don't know if they'd want to go Friday, especially knowing their audience tended to be a little bit older, and and you know, so I don't know if you want to go Friday, Saturday. You know, you have um, Saturdays or when they when they do do pay per views or, or their pay per views on Saturday. So I don't know if there'd be a, conf a conflict there having one of your shows also be Saturday. Um, you know, Sunday would be against football. Monday would be against football. Thursday would be against football. Uh, you're not going to do. I, I don't know. I, so is it is it Tuesday? Is that weird? To have, is, it, is that good or bad to have it have AEW two nights in a row, Tuesday and Wednesday? And then, like I said, I think eventually SmackDown is going to get moved back to Tuesday. So then you are up against. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, that's why I said earlier. I'm really intrigued to see what night they put it on. Tuesday seemed Tuesday seemed like a good night for them, right? I, I mean, you know, Thursday, well, Thursday night football, but yeah, Tuesday seemed like a, a good night for them. I'd still love Saturday six oh five, right? Like if you're going to do the Turner Media thing and like do the hints of uh, what made WCW great and people remembered, you know, bash at the beach, that kind of stuff. 605, baby. Why not? Yeah. And then, I mean, I guess if you do it on 605 Saturday and then the, on the Saturdays, they have pay-per-views, I guess you could just kind of like treat it like kind of almost like a pre-show. Awesome. Um, Free for all, baby. I want to yeah. But if, if they try to do, but if they try to do Tuesdays and then a SmackDown moves back to Tuesday, they got a problem there. And, um, if you do Tuesday, like right now with dark, just being like on YouTube, it's kind of like, you know what they film for dark right now on a Wednesday airs six days later on the following Tuesday, correct? If they yeah. then put dark on Tuesday and it's now also on TNT, so it's on equal distribution as Dynamite, like does Tuesday need to flow into Wednesday? Like does, does it need? You know what I mean? Like like right now what you see on on dark, like it's just kind of, you know, does that make sense? What I'm trying to what, like, like dark airs, but it was filmed six days earlier, so yeah. it was filmed. You know, I, I don't know. I just I'm, I'm 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 just trying to figure out how it how it all flows. Yeah, and and I think that you know what they're doing here, adding in some uh, pre-taped content that is going to be high end. You know, maybe uh, interviews that have been unreleased or like 
you know, cool backstage looks. I mean, everything they do with Darby Allen, like just put 15 minutes of that guy skateboarding in like pepper spray and his friends in the face. Like, great. Sure. I'm in. <laughs> so, I mean, there's things you could do with that, I think, to make it stand out. And, you know, Saturday, 605 Saturday night, that was always like on a delay as well. Those weren't first run matches. And that was great. Everybody has usually nostalgic memories of that show. I just love the set. I love the soul Saturday set being on the, was the MGM soundstage. Sure. I love the, I love the entrance. I love like the whole like machine kind of theme. Like, you know, the, the whole like, you know, machine, you know, the, the, the way they would do the, the, the opening video. I just, I, I love the Saturday night. There, there is a lot of nostalgia to that Saturday night show. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, uh, Bill after declined, he's driving right now. It seems a little dangerous for Bill to, to be calling in, but uh, he has a great video of talking about Rocky Johnson rub last night. So anyway, there's the end of our Bill After Saga for today. Uh, all right, back to Kevin here. Um, he uh, he had one more comment here that we're going to include. Uh, this is about their decision uh, to invest uh, all this money in AEW and, and ink this new deal. Um, he said, I just had this idea that this was the time to invest. This is a startup. It's already over-delivered out of the gate. That's really when you want to hit the gasoline a little bit. The guys already have ideas about additional talent and things that they want to do, and I wanted to incentivize them as a partner to do that. We also wanted to give fans and talent who potentially want to come to work with us, bing, 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 the sense that this is here to stay. You can invest in it. It's here to stay, and it's only going to get better. So it sounds like Kevin here, if you're listening, sounds like he reads a lot of wrestling sheets. He may know that there are some big wwe named contracts that are coming up here in the not too distant future and he wants them to know without of course violating contract breach and contacting them directly that there is money over here and uh if you are looking for opportunity we may be able to present you a good one is that is that good reading between the lines i, I think it's excellent reading between the lines I, it goes I, I said yesterday now all of a sudden you know again negotiation wise in the past year some guys who may have thought about leaving WWE, they might get eh, well you know i don't you know who knows it's AEW thing if it's gonna last and now that it's it's here to stay, uh, and it's got some investment behind it, uh, even more investment behind it. Yeah, yeah. Now you're like, all right, well, this thing's taken off, and there's money over there, and seems like it's maybe a better creative situation, depending on who you are. Uh, yeah, it, 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 this is this is good for, for. I mean, I mean, competition's supposed to make WWE better, but on the one way, I'd say this is good for everybody. This is good for the business. This is good for everybody except for WWE. I feel like all of them, when they were like uh, having to do their pitch, they all showed up with like handfuls of composition notebooks. They're like, "We have so many ideas. You have no idea how wrestlers work. Is that what's going to impress you? You know, uh, these are all very, yeah. very creative individuals. I have no doubt that they were a hard sell as far as the potential directions we could be going creatively. You know, so." Um, all right, uh, let's get into WWE here a little bit. There's this. Here's our pivot story that hybrids WWE and AEW. So I'm watching Dynamite last night, and then I watch NXT in the morning today. Uh, King Corbin, right after the opening bout on Dynamite, he tweets out the following. Winner gets a title shot. Uh, so wait, forget covers. Everybody gets pops. Spot, 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 dive, 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 spot, 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 dive, 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 spot, dive, spot, dive, spot, group spot, group spot, dive. Get your shit in. <laughs> Neck beards. This is awesome. He also included a member of uh, an image of team, uh, a member of Team America World Police throwing up on themselves. I, I look, here's the, here's the thing. I enjoyed that match and I enjoyed this tweet. And I don't know what that says about me, but I like both. I don't know. I think they were both. I thought it was a good match. I thought this was very funny. Any takeaways here from King Corbin ragging AEW like that? Well, I, I laughed when I saw the tweet. Um, you know, I, I sent it. You know, I, I 
it's 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 just all about what your taste is. You know, what I mean, I can certainly see what he's saying. You know, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a I don't think it's a dumb tweet for him to send. I mean, it, it it's not. It's just a matter of what your taste is. AEW, they they kind of know what their they kind of know what the appetite is of their audience, and so they're trying to serve that up on the menu. Um, and and their audience likes, you know, likes just the high athleticism, the fast pace. You know, never mind who's the legal man. Never mind, you know, maybe there could have been some more selling here. Never mind, from a psychology standpoint, would it made sense to do this there? I mean, there are all gaps to that. Um, it just depends on what your taste is. Really, it's what it comes. It's just what that boils down to. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do. There are times I watch AEW and I and I get frustrated with like oh, they're burying the ref here, or why would you do that? That doesn't make sense. Um, I just it's just a matter. It just it's just a matter of what you're looking for and uh, what what the thing is. But I mean, I, I but I, I laughed when I saw Corbin's tweet. I thought it was it, it, it was perfect that it was coming from him. You know, because he's yeah. just like he's like you know the the top heel that the AEW type that the, the, he's the, the top heel right now in wrestling that if you are a huge fan of AEW and that opening match that they put on odds are you absolutely hate Baron Corbin and not because you hate him because he's doing his effective job as a, as a heel. You just absolutely hate him because you think that he, uh, you know, I, uh, you, you just think that he's terrible and that he, he can't wrestle. Uh, so I don't know. It was, it was, per, it was just a perfect tweet coming from him. It was perfect. heel Baron Corbin. <laughs> yes. Yes. I agree. He's, he's uh, picked up Josh Barnett's moniker, um, who, who infamously would butt heads with, uh, with young bucks and their style. So maybe I bet those two would really get along actually Corbin and Barnett, both, both very tough men. Um, and speaking of tough men, Sunsport caught up with Cain Velasquez, who has confirmed that he will be in the men's Royal Rumble match. He says, I can win it. Hell yeah. That's my mentality for everything. For everyone as well, this is how your mentality has to be. I'm going in to win this thing, says Cain Velasquez. Well, of course, Brock Lesnar's going to be number one, and he made real short work of Cain Velasquez here. Uh, what have you heard about Cain? What do you, what do you expect from him? In, uh, in this situation and about how his announcement got out here and just like an interview seems a little weird. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't, well, I don't expect him to win obviously the rumble. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm sure I don't, I don't necessarily know if WWE wanted him just to kind of, you know, this is kind of what you get when you got guys like Velasquez and Tyson Fury and guys who, you know, didn't come up in the pro wrestling world where, you know, you, there's a certain protection of secrecy of like, you know, talking about your booking or talking about what future appearances, I'm sure WWE would have probably rather, you know, the, the you know, three, two, one, uh, and then it'd be a surprise that he shows up the rumble versus him just unceremoniously, you know, just unceremoniously just blurting it out in an interview. I don't think uh, that, which, I, which, I, which, yeah, which I, actually, which actually quite frank, which actually quite frankly, I mean, who knows, depending on, depending on what they were or weren't going to have him do. And depending on what mood maybe Vince is in when he hears it, that could that him blurting out could be, all right, we're taking him out of the rumble. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I don't, does he know what he's doing here? I don't know. Maybe they told, I, maybe they told him to release it this way, but it doesn't feel like this is the way he was supposed to release it. This is a, that was right. Um, I, I was actually kind of thrown off. Never mind. Never mind what everything I just said and him just kind of blurting out, you know, surprise booking plans. But, um, I, I I thought like I thought that he was I thought that he was going to go have like surgery or something because I thought after he had the match with Brock yeah um like there was no there was no real follow up because I thought he was going off to have like and he was going to be gone for a little bit because he just needed to go get himself healthy get the surgery on whatever it was 
yeah, done I mean, and taken care of, so that way he could, that way he could come back later on and be fully healthy. I don't, I don't know if he got the surgery. I don't know how serious it was, right? Because you can get minor surgery, yeah. right? So maybe it was one of those situations. Uh, we'll definitely keep an eye yeah. out for it. Oh. But I will say, I mean, I'm sorry, plus, it's, plus, plus it's a rumble. I mean, punch, kick, struggle in the corner. Yeah, it's something can work. But I will say this: the the word we were talking about uh, yesterday or Tuesday, I forget about uh, what Ray and uh, Andrade they're going to blow off their feud here and. Uh, it looks like Ray could maybe enter into the main feud here with Seth Rollins. Uh, Ray and Cain Velasquez joining up with Samoa Joe and uh, Kevin Owens against uh, whatever the Messiah is cooking up here. Uh, that that seems to balance itself out when I thought about that in my brain. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I just I don't know. The whole Cain Velasquez thing just still hasn't uh, doesn't. Has it grabbed you? Uh, I'm still on the hook. There's a lot of stories you can do with Cain. I love all the stuff with Ray. His background with Brock. I I have faith for Cain Velasquez in WWE still. So. Um, well, Triple H, uh, he apologized to Paige yesterday for a joke he made during a recent media scrum uh, last weekend. Uh, of course, uh, the joke was uh, about how, well, the joke was made in the context of he was talking about how they want to make sure the wrestlers are taken care of uh, before putting them back in after injuries. He noted that Edge had kids and he said, Paige, maybe she has kids she doesn't even know about. Paige uh, publicly kind of took offense to that, not kind of publicly did take offense to that. Got some backup there from Renee. So Triple H tweeted out, I have reached out to uh, Paige to apologize. I made a terrible joke, and I'm sorry if it offended her or anyone else. Which is good, right? I was waiting for this. I was hoping it came. If it hadn't come, I would have been a little upset. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I'm a, you know, I, I, I'm I'm a Triple H fan supporter, you know. Uh, but, it, yeah, I mean, this, and the bad the bad thing was, this wasn't it, it's not even like he, I mean, you know, regardless, but it made it worse that it wasn't like he even just like made the quick joke in passing and just and just kept moving, 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 moving. He made the joke, and then if you watch the video, he made the joke and they like kind of paused, looked, you know, like got the laugh and looked around the table and then said, you know, and then kind of like, oh, there you guys, like, like acknowledged like that he, that he finally got the his, his 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 intimate audience to pop. So that's what makes it even like, you know, worse is that like he he he, it's emphasized that he was looking to just get. A uh, cheap pop by making a joke you know, he's, he's, at her expense. Triple H is growing up, right? You can't you can't do those DX things anymore. You can't make those jokes. You're a corporate figure. You're the face of the company. You know, he learns that. I think he learns little lessons like that every day. Sometimes not so publicly, would be my guess. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's good that he apologized. I mean, hopefully, you know, he and her are fine. Um, but it's it, again, it's also it's a, it's also emphasizing you know who it was. You know, Paige has dealt with a lot of bullying, dealt with a lot yes. of stuff in the last you know, years due to her life just being very public, whether it's the relationship with Del Rio, whether it's the, 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 the videos I got, you know, you know, so it, even worse to do it, you know, it's, it's emphasized even more when it's, it's her that you're, well, you know, it's, it's her expense you're making the joke about. And, and you kind of, I mean, right. You can't, I, I can't help but think back to the Corey Graves Morrow stuff from like a month and a half ago. Right. And it's like, is this part of the culture? Right. Is everybody just ribbing each other? Like you can kind of say anything you want. It's all just part of the show. If it's in public. I mean, I guess that's maybe a little bit oh, yeah. I mean, taken away from this. Situation. Well, I think it's just, I think it's a matter of what's in public. Like again, it, it, let's I mean, you know, if he's in a if he's in a room privately with like ten or fifteen people in the WWE world, and and Paige is in the room, and he has a cool enough rapport with her, maybe he makes that joke, and even she laughs, and they all laugh. You know, it's it's in private. It's in it's all amongst you know trusted colleagues, and it's just you know ribbing each other in good nature there. Maybe that's how it's taken there. But when you're doing when you're doing an interview with international media. Who is not part of that that brotherhood fraternity? Who who they're going to take every quote and everything you say? Yeah, that's just not the place to do that, you know. Yeah, I agree with that. 
Uh, and uh, last but not least here, uh, Showbuzz Daily. We're going to end with some ratings news here before we throw to the interviews. Uh, Tuesday's WWE Backstage drew 84,000 viewers. It's down 32% from the week before, where they did 124 uh, as the first episode of 2020. This is the lowest episode since the premiere on November 5th. That did 49,000, which was much lower. Uh, the December 17th and 95 New Year's special did 97,000. So, um, you know, they, they saw an upswing last week. It, it dropped this week. Punk will be back next week. I'm, I'm not sure how that much will help. But, yeah, again, man, it, it, unless SmackDown moves to Tuesdays as the lead-in for this thing, I, I don't know I don't know how you get more attention on it. I feel bad because, like, they put news on it. Like, Elias It's a good show. Yeah, like Elias resigning. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. You know, it's upsetting. It's unfortunate. It's a, it's a good show. They've stayed committed to just, you know, just genuinely talking about the product, not, you know, not with, with, with oh, we got to stick to these talking points of storyline. Like, they're just literally just talking about it honestly like you and I would. Um, you know, it's got high production quality and value to it. You know, they're getting, you know, big-name guests to come on. Um, yeah, again, un, you know, un, just on an island by itself on a Tuesday night like it is. Uh, so until until you know SmackDown or something gets moved to Tuesday, or if Punk starts truly dropping some more you know pipe bombs on there, so I mean I don't know something you know something. I I hope they don't give up on it because again it's 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 a good show. I I'd like to see it stick around and just get help. I'd like to see it get more eyes on it, but it's, it's there's no favors being done to it at the moment. My guest at this time will co-host Warhausen's WrestleMania on Saturday, April 4th in Tampa, Florida as part of GCW's The Collective. It is Dan Housen. Dan Housen, thank you, Housen, for coming on and doing the interview, Housen, today. Ah, you're welcome, Housen. Thanks for the plug. Yeah. You for know, the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Well, we're going to talk about it here just a little bit. I'm a big fan of GCW. Um, but it is it, it warms me as a fellow house, house man. Uh, uh, yes, yes. Yes, to have another house... And to not only have another house, but to have a house you you've taken our spelling to other levels, my friend. It's incredible. <laughs> I know, I know, and it was a thing uh, that kind of came from high school too, because people used to just uh, riff off of my last name all the time. So that's sort of where that came from. Okay, good. Well, good to know. I, I however it came about, I'm tickled and I love it. So thank you. I, I'm a big fan. Um, now I'm a big fan. But you are you are really kind of breaking out at the moment. The past year has been very good for you. How would you describe Donovan Danhausen, the wrestler, to a fan who has not yet totally familiarized themselves with you? Well, so I, I dropped the Donovan. Uh, we don't. Oh, I don't just use that part anymore. I just go by the Danhausen now. But uh, yeah, I don't. It's a hard to describe uh, because it's so it's so weird. It's just weird. Is the if I had to pick one word weird or strange um definitely a transition because i think you you knew me when i was just a, a like a regular guy wrestler yeah it, i that's why again bad force of habit on my part uh continuing to use your no, first no. name danhausen um uh, no, yeah. no no that's totally fine okay uh yeah. yeah no i would say strange unorthodox um not what you'd expect i think when people see a picture of me maybe not so much anymore because i'm usually smiling or doing something stupid in pictures now um, you think I'm just spooky guy wrestler, and that's not usually the case once you see me come through the curtain. Right. No. Well, my girlfriend was at Warrior Wrestling and saw you wrestle, and she goes, oh, I get it. He's a trickster god. Is that? 
<laughs> that's a good way of looking at it, I guess, actually. I never thought of it that way, but that's a nice description. Yeah, uh, well, I hadn't thought of it either, and I was like, well, am I very dumb? Did she figure out what Danhausen's doing? Maybe here? she figured out what, what I'm doing without me knowing. I guess if it's news to you, I'm glad I could bring that to you because she said that because you do yes. you do a lot of you do a lot of very fun stuff during your matches at Warrior here in Chicago. You you you, you know, snapped your fingers, had the music start playing, and uh, you started yeah. dancing Pee Wee Herman style. It seems like something a trickster god would do, you know? Yeah, it, 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 it there's a hypnotic element to it. I would say. Okay. Okay. Now, why the evolution though? What made you want to shift from being Donovan Danhausen, the wrestler? to what you are now, Dan Housen, Trickster God? Well, uh, I guess fun. I wanted to have fun while I'm wrestling. I wasn't really having too much fun. I would, like, there'd be, like, bright spots here and there. Okay. But for the most part, it was just boring. And when wrestling is boring and you're not making money and you're getting hurt, it's just, you know you know what I mean? Like, that that's not fun for anybody. No. It sounds terrible. So... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's literally the worst. You're traveling hours and hours in a car, hurting your body, losing money, and having a bad time. Right. So I decided to switch that, which I think anybody would. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and you you switched it, but you, you flipped a lot of switches, man. Like, a lot of switches. Yes, I, I, totally, I totally just switched everything. Yeah, literally. Uh, literally, yes. There's, this is more authentically me than that was. Okay, what do you by mean far. by that? What do, what do you mean by that? Like, before, I was like, ah, tough guy, wrestler, I'm going to beat everybody up. And I'm like, that's not me. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I've actually heard Daniel Bryan say something about this in a podcast before, where he's like, I don't know. I don't want people to buy my T-shirts. And, like, he's like, why? We'll do something else. I'm just a guy. And I felt like that. I was like, I'm just a guy. This isn't me. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, but this is me. I'm having fun. I can put out, like, like, not that it wasn't before I always tried to take pride in, like, my merch and everything, because I want people to wear something that I'm proud of. Okay. Um, but, yeah, no, I just wanted something that people could feel like they could be a part of it as well. And, like, hey, this guy actually seems to enjoy these things. I want to join in with that. That's cool. Yeah, because when I, when I first saw what you were doing, um, my immediate gut reaction, I thought you were, like, a silent movie actor or demon. Uh, so... Yeah, that's ahead. sort of correct because I do that for old wrestling. I'm okay. a silent movie actor type. Uh, I do the old vampire thing. Okay. For old wrestling, where we're like 1920s based. Okay. Um, it's like RJ City's in that also, and he's a silent actor. Just think, it's just a fun side promotion where it's totally different. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Uh, old, I didn't, I, I don't keep up with. It. I know of it, right? I know. Yeah, Mar- so that's actually kind of, if I had to guess, where this more so stemmed from was me having fun with that, doing something a little kookier and different. Okay. And I was doing that when I started doing like more serious stuff, and then I started to branch off. So with with the changes and the the switches you flipped here, you got like the the makeup, which in the the vibe and this jar of teeth, like twenties yes. silent adi- or silent era oddities carny stuff is that your jam is that the kind of stuff that you genuinely gravitate towards yeah so the, everything kind of came out of nowhere like the teeth and the peewee dance that was all very organic and just i didn't like plan on using it consistently it's just stuck okay so now that's what it is uh, <laughs> so i'm always just looking for new weird things to do and see if they stick um <laughs> like the teeth kind of came from me posting a photo saying i'm gonna eat this guy's teeth and then all of a sudden, I started using teeth, and it worked. Um, yeah, no, it's super weird. And then uh, the peewee dance was meant to be a one-time use. Uh, 
I had a bar wrestling match for unsanctioned pro against PB smooth. He's I think six foot seven or so. And like, 200 something pounds. Okay. And Big I was thing. like, what am I going to do to him? What am I going to do in this? It was a no ring match mm-hmm. uh, in a bar. So I was like, well, I was like, how about I use the bar and I'll do the peewee dance. And he can beat me up. Like, <laughs> like what, what am I going to do? Like, there's no ring for me to utilize. Like, so that just stuck from there. Cause it, it got, it went not viral, but it, it got a lot of views. Yeah. I, I, it's great, man. And with the teeth. So like with the teeth, where do you get them that many teeth? Where do you go for that? Uh, that's a secret. That's a uh, human teeth. Yeah, I, I know. I can't. I can. Re- I can reveal the secrets to you after. Okay. I have. I have an, I have an <laughs> the idea. secret well, of the teeth. Okay. Well, I. I will say. I. I am an. I am an oddities nut. I have like a human. Yeah. Skull cap on my desk here as I'm talking to you because I'm. Yeah. I, I try to go. That's one of my favorite things when I'm going town to town is to try try to find an oddity shop. Uh huh. And Cleveland so far, I think, has had the best one. Ooh, whoa. Why? why Which was, uh, yeah. I don't know. They just, their setup was the nicest. They had the nice selection of things, I thought, personally. Okay. Um, it wasn't a mess. It's like a smaller store, I think, owned by just uh, a couple called Cleveland Curiosities. Hmm. And, yeah, they're just super helpful. Um, like, there's some shops I've gone to, and they're just kind of like, hey, here's a bunch of garbage. It's yeah. oddity stuff. I'm like, no, that's not it. They seem like they take pride and care. Yeah, well, I I know you come through Chicago, and, and I'm getting a little off the beaten path. We'll get back to wrestling stuff here in just a second. But yeah. you sh- you should check out uh, Woolly Mammoth in Andersonville here in Chicago. It is also run by a couple that curates everything. And no, see, that sounds great. Yeah, shrunken heads, skull caps, a lot of teeth. Yeah, exactly. That's the fun stuff. A <laughs> lot of teeth. I'm just saying, there's a lot of teeth. So like. Yeah. You like you. Yeah, you'll have to send me that. Send, I, send me that name after this. I will. I'm actually. Oh man, I'm not lying. I'm actually wearing their shirt right now. I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I will. Um, and that, that's just for everybody out there. If you're in Chicago, go to Willie Mammoth. Good people. A lot of a lot of weird oddities. I'll be there Friday, so I might check that out. You should. Um, come in early. But with the teeth, though, you like pour these in people's mouths and stuff, right? Yeah, they're delicious. That's so gross, man. <laughs> that's so that's so disgusting. That's ah, good for you. That's uh, my uh my treat for people. <laughs> now what you no no <laughs> gross. <laughs> you you now you do all these things that are very avant and like out there and like the the music and the dancing and all that. Like one of the big things that's like uh, a topic of discussion, I feel like, on social media right now, and it's really kind of uh, broke out into, like, a war, is the new style of wrestling. Like, being able to do that kind of stuff and not present wrestling as, like, it's traditionally always been presented. Like, I think you have to kind of know what I'm talking about. Like, what, what is your Yeah, t- yeah, yeah. What, what's so your now take? I think I'm getting, like, uh, put in the category of style of wrestling. I'm surprised more people don't publicly hate me yet. Uh, but I feel like I'm getting grouped with, like, Joey Ryan and, like, Orange Cassidy and that style of wrestling, which is great. I love it. Agreed. Um, I just, yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's it's just fun. Like, I'm not, yeah, I don't, I, it's hard to explain. I, I, like I said, I'm surprised more people don't hate me, but, but I'm sure it'll come. It'll come with time. <laughs> I could tag Cornette in this. We can make that happen. <laughs> oh, uh, God. Right? Um, well, but. Like I guess you you called it styled wrestling. Is that what you would describe it as? Uh, yeah, I don't know what it was. It's definitely definitely unorthodox. 
Okay. And uh, I just weird. Think, it's weird style wrestling, bendy wrestling. I think it's well. It's interesting <laughs> because nobody's really been able to put a label on it, right? Like you know what British chain wrestling is, right? You know what a yeah, death match yeah, is. Yeah. What you what like you like you said like what you and Orange and Joey are doing right now. It is I like it's character oh, wrestling, character based wrestling. Okay, and yeah, I mean, Me, yeah. Go ahead. I, I I don't know. I don't know what else you would call it because. Um, I would say maybe character-based wrestling. And then you've got, like, Warhorse definitely, like, transcends that because he, he has his own style, <laughs> but it's mixed with character-based. Yeah. Well, So it's weird. There's a bunch of different guys and girls that are all doing it, so. Hmm. Yeah. Well, talk to me about take me, talk to me about Warhorse. Um, or is he still Jake Parnell? I don't know. I like I knew you guys from Life. No, no, no. So he he dropped the Jake Parnell. He's he's just Warhorse now. All okay, cap. Great. I'm I'm trying to keep up here, right? Because <laughs> Every, everyone's just become Cher or Bono. Because <laughs> like I love Jake. Jake, I remember was one of the first people I saw in indie wrestling. He was part of the Viking War Party. Me too. Yep, dude. And like he, it's weird because he looks like he's twelve. But he's been wrestling. <laughs> he, he's been wrestling forever. I feel like I've seen him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he started uh, I think around the same time as me. Okay. Because we started together. He was doing St. Louis Anarchy, and that was one of the first companies that let me in. Got it. Um. So I think I wrestled him maybe in a scramble in one of my first matches mm-hmm. as the the little Viking. Okay. Yeah. So I've known him forever. That's why it's so cool, and I try to like. We try to partner up with a lot of stuff because we came up together. That's so awesome, man. Like, in the Viking War Party, by the way, and again, off on a tangent, that was one of the best things on in all of Independent It was wrestling. fun. Yeah. Dude, so good. And I'm a glad, lot of fun. I'm so glad to see him out on his own doing his thing and, and finding this momentum right now. So you guys came up together. Um, yeah, talk, talk to me about your, your relationship with Jake Parnell. What's it like tagging with him, and what are you guys trying to accomplish here in 2020? <laughs> so, so uh, funny thing, I don't think we haven't tagged yet. Um, we just do so much online social media wise huh. that like people had assumed that. And I think the same thing with Effie, uh, me and Effie have only tagged twice now, Okay. but because we do so much stuff together on social media, people assume we've tagged before. And I'm like, no, like we're open to it. Cause it like gives us more opportunities to do different things, um, and get into companies that maybe we wouldn't have been able to get into as a different type of booking. Um, but yeah, no, we've uh, the closest we've done is we both beat up Mark Wheeler at Alpha One Wrestling. Okay. Uh, well, you guys are really enjoyable together with all the social media stuff you, you're doing. Uh, thank you. And you know what I think is so cool is like, I've known you, I've known J- Jake, and it really is just all of a sudden here, you're caught up in this this whirlwind. It's it's you, it's Effie, uh, it's a, uh, um, AJ Gray. You know, there's like a couple, yep, yep. There's, there's, a, there's like a he's co- another guy. Like we came up kind of all together, like. I think Epi started around the same time. AJ started around the same time. Uh, so it's cool. We try to kind of raise each other up. Well, and that's what I'm, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out the order when I want to ask these questions. All right, I'll, I'll start with the one we're talking about right now. How does it feel to be in that kind of new? I, I almost want to say it's like the click, kind of, right? Where it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like the uh, new click. What is it like to be yeah, inside of that? Say. Yeah. What's it like to be inside that right now? It's weird. I feel busy all the time. <laughs> yeah. I went from not feeling busy ever to feeling busy, like, literally all the time. It's a lot. Yeah. and like, Which is good. It's a good busy. It's not a complaint. Do you, do you feel the specialness? Because, like, for me on the outside, see, like, and it's interesting, it's called The Collective, which we'll talk about here in a second. But for me, yeah. for me on the outside, watching you guys all kind of find your, your footing and play together and, and work together and be friends with each other, 
it it feels special to me on the outside. Does it does it feel that way for you on the inside right now? It it does for me, but it also just feels like, hey, I've known these guys forever. They're just my friends. Yeah. Um. So that's cool to hear that on the outside. Hopefully, that's for everybody. They see something that's special. Uh. But for me, it's just like, hey, this is really cool that like me and my friends have been working for what seems like a long time. It's re- really it's not in the world of wrestling. Mm-hmm. But like, I think I'm going on seven years uh, in it, and I think they're all around the same. Yeah. Um finally start to pay off you know even a little bit um what's it like for you to watch your fan base excel so quickly and get so big so quick? oh wow that's yeah that's wild because i feel like i don't know three months ago i had like three thousand followers and then now i have like over 10 wow and i was like yeah that's that's a, that's a big difference in three months that is a big difference yeah uh, and it just keeps shooting up which is nice and it's i couldn't do it without the help from other people obviously mm-hmm. but that's not just all on my own now, correct me if I'm wrong, and again, like, it's all just, like, a, a blur when I read all the social Twitter stuff, but did you, are you left your job, this is full-time for you now, is just trying to do the yes. wrestling thing, right? It's a big Yeah, uh, so that's kind of scary, but it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah, this is my full-time job now. Wow. So I'm trying to fill in every weekend and try to get content out and do the Patreon thing, so. And, and, you, and you've had the door open for you at Ring of Honor recently as well. How, how did that yeah, come about? Yeah, yeah. What, yeah, what's it like working with them at the moment? Uh, so I've only worked for them once so far, but that was great. I was uh, nervous because it's the only time I've ever worked for a TV company, mm-hmm. and it was my first time. And I think I did well because they invited me back. So yeah, you... I'm going back there this weekend to Georgia and North Carolina. So with them, like I guess is it what feeling out process right now? Are you looking to kind of? I, I would I would say probably um, they're probably seeing how I do and like if I fit in and all that, which is fair. I think you should do that as a company, not just. Be like, hey, this guy has hype right now. Let's sign him. Right. Uh, I think I think the good idea is, hey, this guy has hype right now. Let's see how he does here. Yeah. Well, and it's you know it's you know it's money ball stuff. I mean, they did that with PCO too, right? I mean, and look, he's the yeah. champ right now. You know, you guys are kind of yeah, exactly. You guys weirdly not even think about it. But you guys weirdly have kind of similar energies. I don't know. Am I wrong? To say <laughs> yeah. That? No, no. That's why like, I, I feel like the villain enterprise guys uh, have very similar energy to me. Okay. So wait. So you you like you? That's an interesting pairing. Would you be interested? Is that like a thing that you'd like to try to make? Oh, a, I would absolutely. I love Brody. I. Uh, so that would be great. That would be a great pairing, I think. Okay. Um, he's like the one of the one of the guys that I know there. So cool, cool. It's like him and Hot Sauce, and I'm sure I'm gonna blank and for, I'm blanking right now. So I'm gonna forget somebody and feel bad. But well, that's the thing. Everybody's, you know, everybody. No, it's it's been super positive there. Um, I'm excited to go back this weekend. Very cool. Well, let's uh, let's jump here to uh, the collective coming up uh yeah. wrestlevania with you and jake or yeah. you and warhorse sorry he's not jake anymore you and warhorse coming together here to do this big event what can fans expect how did this come together uh this came together because actually i think uh warhorse jake parnell we'll call him that who cares uh <laughs> his it's hard for the me. littlest viking came to me before he's like hey i want to do a show called wrestlevania at some point that would be sweet and then we get presented with the idea to actually do it out of nowhere almost um so that's kind of how that happened we already had the name like a week prior and as soon as they're like hey do you guys want to do like your own wrestlemania show wrestlemania weekend show for the collective we're like yeah that's cool and we already have a name actually we talked about it the other day that we wanted to do something like this eventually um so it's going to be a mix of like we're trying to make our show stand out we still got some stuff that we're working out with it to see if it'll go through. 
uh, that's secret, super top secret. Um, but it's going to be like metal, heavy metal based and like horror movie, spooky, fun, comedy. Uh, it, it'll be bizarre. Okay. Now, I, I, I saw a graphic the other day. I actually tried to find it this morning. I couldn't find it again. I don't know why. But are you sacrificing someone to Satan on this show? Yeah. Why, why not? If they lose, they're sacrificed. It's going to make their future bookings. <laughs> That's going to be hard to take future bookings if you're dead. Well, they better win their match. <laughs> and isn't it, wait, and there's like somebody gets fed to wolves? Isn't that another Oh, match? that was, uh, yeah, Jake Parnell put that out. The War Horse threw that out there. Right. That got taken down real quick, changed. You can't, oh. Can't feed, I can't, we can't legally feed people the wolves, but we can legally sacrifice them to Satan, I guess. You know. That, you, was, that wasn't a problem by Florida, but the wolves were. <laughs> Florida State Athletic Association. <laughs> yeah. Human Nothing sacrifice. about Satan in the details. <laughs> right, yeah. Satan, fine. Wolves, ugh. Uh, yeah, well, you know. How well and like what you know, these these are some big footsteps you're walking in here. Like Joey Janela, Josh Barnett, they've got their own big branded GCW. Yeah. What do you feel that pressure going into this to deliver uh, uh I feel the pressure of wanting to put on a good show. And some I want to put on a show that's different for like obviously like Josh Barnett's show is totally different than any other show. Mm-hmm. Um like he's gonna have a total we wanna have a different vibe, like those like Joey Janela's is a party. Uh ours is gonna be like a weirdo party, I guess. Um, like, I kind of want to have some sort of a concert vibe to it in a way. And like a weird horror movie theme. I don't know. It, it's going to be a wild mess. That's fun. Okay. Uh, well, you're advertised for another show uh, at the collective already as well. And that's Marcus Crane's bondage. A go, go. Uh, yes. Now, uh, before we get to what will be, you'll be whipped in all of those things. We could talk about that. <laughs> uh, Marcus is obviously he's laid up in a Vegas hospital right now. Uh, what, I know. I know. Yeah. He actually formally introduced us, I think in, in DMS. When yep. We, yes, he did. Yeah. When we were very drunk one time at replay. I love Marcus. T- yeah. Talk to me a little bit about Marcus Crane. You know, uh, he drove me to my first independent show. Uh, tryout. Yeah. Really? Dreamwave. He let me hop in the car with him and he's, I've known him basically since one of my first like main shows. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So I, I, yeah, I've known him forever. I, 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 I mean, he's advertising it. I saw the scar he put up on, on the internet and stuff. I hope he gets to be there for this thing. I would think he is, but I don't I, know. Yeah. I, I think he'll be able to be there. Cause I think he gets out of the hospital. I'm assuming that's what his countdown is online. It is it's his days in the hospital. So Dude got... I think he'll be there. I don't know in what capacity, but if we could just have Marcus there as a person, that would be great. Yeah. And so, Look, Marcus is a great individual, but man, he is into some stuff, right? Like, <laughs> and he's gonna expose the world to it. So, and I'm I as soon as I heard this, I was uh, I was very interested to see how far Marcus would take it because, like, again, being here in Chicago and having been with him to exit and other bondage things that Marcus does, it's some pretty radical stuff. One time I ate, uh, or one time I took a shot of what's the what's that vanilla liqueur? Um, oh, I don't know. Anyway, I had to drink it out of a condom one time at a bar he took me to. Oh, see, there you go. That's Marcus. Right. Marcus stuff. Yeah, Marcus stuff. <laughs> what do you think is going to go down here at Bondage Go Go? What do you think fans can expect? Oh, God. I don't even know what to expect because it's Marcus. It's from Marcus's brain. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, yeah, which it's is... anything that's, that's come from his imagination, it's going to be at this show. And if anyone who's talked to Marcus, that they're going to have no idea what's going to happen. Rum Chata. That's what it was. It was Is rum, that what it was? It was a rum I feel like it's going to be more extreme than rum chata at this show. That's what it'll be. Well, I don't know, man. He made me drink that rum chata out of the condom. <laughs> it was gross. Well, 
I kind of, I don't know. It, we were all. It was having probably a good, time. good. Who knows? We were all having a good time. Tasted like plastic because <laughs> I was drinking out of a condom. All right. Yeah, it tastes like rubber. Great conversation here to wrap up the interview today. <laughs> uh, so uh, with that, you know, obviously everybody go check out the collective and everything you're doing there. It's great. Effie's big gay brunch, the, the whole thing for the culture, blood sport, amazing yeah, package. All of it sounds wonderful. It's great. But what do you want to do here in 2020, Danhausen? What's what's your plan? What's your goal? If you had a big goal, what would it be? Uh, big goal, I guess, I would love to wrestle overseas for the first time oh, cool. and do some sort of excursion there. That would be nice. Um, yeah, no, just kind of keep riding this wave. But I guess if you have, like, if I have to pinpoint a goal, I'd like to wrestle overseas over in Europe or Germany. Like, you know, Germany, England, UK, any, anywhere in the UK cool. would be fun. Cool, man. Well, the word is out there. Uh, Dan Housen, thank you so much for the time. I really enjoyed it. No, thank you. I really enjoyed this chat, man. This one flew by. Is there anything you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up today? Uh, yes. Uh, I've got the Pro Wrestling Tea Store slash Dan Housen. I've got a ton of designs up there. Uh, I have the Patreon page slash Love That Dan Housen. I put up exclusive, like, I have a cooking show. I have a late night show where I interview other independent wrestlers. Like, I've had Lance Hoyt recently. Um, I've War Horses on there, Jake something, Alley Cat. Uh, I have more people coming up. Um, yeah, just check that out. Check that stuff out. I do the $5 and up a month one, gets you the most stuff, like the video wise. So, yeah, also uh, check out Jake something. I love Jake something, and I feel like he doesn't get enough credit. Um, well, if you guys watched the show yesterday, it looked like Rich Swan got injured in the big four-on-four four or five-on-five. Five. My memory escapes me. Uh, match, that was the main event of the show last night that streamed on our awesome app, Impact Plus. It's only $7.99 a month. Check it out. Um, so I honestly don't know what our match is going to be tomorrow. I hope we can still beat the living crap out of Willie Mack and Rich Swan. Um, whether they're 100% or not doesn't mean anything to us. Uh, our number one goal is obviously having match of the night and retaining our titles. I mean, I'm just personally excited because we won these championships the last time we were in Texas, uh, two days before Slammiversary, and now to come back to Dallas, you know, having, what, eight months as tag team champions and just show up and show up like we usually do. And add a little bit more personal, it's a... Uh, it was annoying to us that when we found out LAX was leaving that we heard a lot of rumbling that people thought the tag team division would fall apart and we kind of tried to put it on our backs to make sure that didn't happen. And now eight months later, people are finally agreeing with us that we've kept the tag team division alive and we're doing our best to still make Impact Wrestling the best company with the best tag matches. And yeah, you can thank us for that. So let's enjoy the pay-per-view tomorrow. <laughs> Questions? Yeah, sure, yeah. Cool. Nick Hausman, Wrestling Inc. Uh, if not Rich Swan and Willie Mack tomorrow, which tag team do you feel would be deserving to step up? Do you have a preference of anyone you'd like to work with? The Rock and Sock Connection would be my number one choice. <laughs> Great. My Mark. number two choice would be the Motor City Machine Guns. And my third choice uh, would be the Rascals. And not the Rascals that we beat last night. Um, I think, obviously, Trey Miguel is the solo act out of the three. He's wrestling for the X Division title tomorrow. I would prefer to have... Uh, Zachary Wentz and Dez to really put us to the test and I don't think we've actually had a tag match against the actual to us the team out of the three of them um, one of our favorite matches of last year in Windsor Ontario was against the Rascals but again it was the same combination of Dez and Trey 
we've yet to have Zach and Des together and really put us to the test. So if they were to pull them out and put another team in, that would be our choice. Okay. What? I, I just spoke for Josh. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna completely agree with the the Rascals, but Zachary Wentz and Desmond Xavier because. Uh, I think we've run through all the tag team competitions so far in Impact, and uh, that's the only duo, I yeah. mean, that anybody can talk anything about that we haven't beat, so, you know, we're just knocking that one off the list. So, if Willie Mack is still in his match tomorrow, do you have a set game plan going in a match with a versatile athlete like him? So, wait, you're asking us if we have a game plan about two of us wrestling one person? <laughs> well, if he's one of the Oh, oh, only one of them. No, well, we've been prepping for Willie Mack anyways. So, I mean, if he's in the match, you know what? I'll let Josh do that. I don't think we've been prepping for Willie Mack. Willie Mack's been the weak link the whole time, you know? <laughs> Rich Swan's obviously the, the star of the team, the guy that could be, like, in that gauntlet match and what was it, the Axis debut the week yep. after. Like, Rich Swan's a star. He could be a world champion one day. We know that. We'll admit that. And, you know, the whole thing's been about Willie. So if Willie wants to find a tag team partner, he wants to try to step to us in a handicap match, yeah, yeah just... I don't think the outcome's going to be any different than it would have been anyway. Yeah, he, he should definitely do what he did with Rich and find someone more talented than himself to carry the team. Thank you. Mike Johnson, PW Insider. How are you guys? Good. How are you, Mike? Um, good. Uh, you talked about putting the tag team division on your back. What were the, the highs and lows of that process? And uh, was it a bigger success having good matches or a bigger success getting everyone to realize, all right, things are going to be fine, even though other talents are leaving. I'll let you take that one. I mean, I'm a little different than Ethan Page over here. Yeah. Uh, my big thing was establishing tag team wrestling. I, I think a tag team match on any show, there's no reason it can't be the best match on a show. I mean, just with the rules, with having the aspect of somebody on the apron, different stuff. Like you can put a crowd through so many different emotions having a tag team match. So if we don't have match of the night, that's a disservice to what we've been doing. So it was just me like establishing the rules first and foremost that we are a real tag team. We use the tag ropes every time. You know, the ref, you know, we might use them to our advantage every once in a while, but like we exploit tag team wrestling for what it is. And I think it can be the best if it's done right and not everybody you know valued that in the past so people leave but we stepped up and i think we've carried that torch and maybe brought it further than it was even before and I, we hear a lot too that the north is like a throwback to old school like tag team wrestling and i don't think we're a throwback i just think we're doing it right and people just forgot their way that's it Listen, nobody's hit me harder than Josh. Nobody's suplexed me faster than Josh. Nobody's put me on the mat quicker than Josh. Nobody's beat my ass like Josh. We know each other better than anybody else we've ever shared time in the ring with. So I know what he's thinking. We don't have to speak to each other while we're teaming. We just have a, a connection. We've spent so much time together in the ring all over the world. Um, but we've also teamed before coming to Impact. We have a history together as a tag team. Uh, we were one of the best tag teams in the world, and I think that's why Impact decided to give us the opportunity to show the world on a bigger platform and bring us to Impact. And obviously, we're doing the right thing. And yeah, so I think you know, beating each other up for a little while kind of helped us out.
Yeah, and like in the beginning when we first tagged up before we ever came to Impact, we just accentuated each other's positives and hit the negatives. Like he was the better talker. I was the more straight-laced wrestler. And through that, he's become a better wrestler. I've become a better talker. I'm more comfortable like in this situation than I was before because of him. Like we propped each other up and helped each other. And great opponents, you know, we figured out that we could be like even better tag team. So. Ian Gracia, Big Old Media. So, a bit of a fluff, fluff question for you. Sure. Being that you tagged together for so long and you're pretty much like road relationship, do you ever get on each other's nerves? What are some like little idiosyncratics that might irk you about the other person? Oh, good question. <laughs> <clears throat> of course, he starts first. <laughs> <laughs> He'll have way more to complain about. No, that's not true at all. Uh, I, I'm going to say, just from a, a little backstage perspective, we have seen tag teams be at each other's throats arguing over the dumbest stuff, and it, it's never happened with us. Yeah. Like, I, I don't... I, I, I think the biggest thing for us was we know how hard we had to work to get here and how many years it took us to accomplish what we have. And we have too much respect for each other as performers and as entertainers and athletes. Um, no matter what happens backstage, uh, whether we even agree with each other or not, we have each other's back. And that was just a, a silent agreement that we had when we formed the tag team originally. And it's honestly never left. And I, I think that's why we're always going to be a cut above everybody else. Uh, I wanted to ask real fast, we were talking with Eddie Edwards earlier about the TNA show coming up in April. I know you're very involved with that, Ethan. I don't know if you have any updates for what people can expect. And we also chatted with him a bit about the possibility of the Wolves reuniting to take on you two. Would that be a match that you'd be interested in? No, I hate Davey Richards. Uh, but Scott Demore is actually <laughs> over there if you want to ask him about the TNA show. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to answer? Is there any answers? It's all about you. Oh, that's true. It is all about me. Uh, you know what? No. Um, I don't know anything that you guys don't know at the current moment. All I do know is that the show is happening. Scott Demore did announce it in Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, TNA will be coming back for one night. Um, maybe one night only. Oh, I'm glad someone laughed at that. <laughs> you know, throw back one night pay-per-views. Anyways, uh, I'm excited because it, it, as time goes on, the kids that grew up, uh, watching TNA, like that, that was us. We were those children. So now being in this company, knowing the history of this company, knowing what, uh, what it took to get the company where it is today, um, it's amazing that we're going to be able to be a part of history, I think, and to be able to, I guess, play in a playground that we weren't allowed to uh, when we watched. And we're getting to bring that back to like 2020, baby, TNA. Like I'm, pum I'm pumped, Josh. I'm, yeah, like I was a kid wrestling my friends on my trampoline that ran inside on a Wednesday night to order the very first show. And that was the first time I ever saw somebody like Loki and AJ Styles. And that changed everything I thought about professional wrestling. Through them, I found Ring of Honor. Through them, I found all these other things. And I think TNA's history, as you can see on the app, whenever you want, is some of the best wrestling in the world. And that's why all these guys have, like, they've moved on to be regarded as the best wrestlers in the world. And, like, just to be part of TNA as, or now Impact, and then to do the TNA throwback show, like, I'm, I'm honored. I think it's, like, awesome. I'm marking out for it. And I think that ties into one of the questions earlier about trying to put the tag team division on our back. Like, we have that fond memory of TNA. So we want to be able to give the youth that's watching Impact right now that same experience. So that's why we're always, always, always going to try and have the best match of the show. You guys are, both, are each from Canada at different points in times. 
being a Canadian wrestler trying to come to the United States has been a point of frustration for you. Um, what advice do you give to international talents trying to break into the United States where they can get the most exposure to do it without falling through the pitfalls of, all right, if I go over the border one too many times, I'm gonna get snagged or getting banned from the country like some other talents, not YouTube, but others have. Like, from your perspective of someone who's had to over overcome all that, what advice do you give to other international performers who are trying to find their way here? Um, well, for us, it was always the risk will be worth the reward. And uh, I w I've, I've had contracts with companies in America without having a work visa is terrible. Um, my biggest, I guess, advice would be make sure Scott Demore likes you because <laughs> he was the first person to actually move forward and get me a work visa to actually make sure that I was legally able to work in this country. He saw the value in myself and Josh to be able to actually provide a living for our families. And um, you just, it's tough. Like, it's a very expensive process to be able to make this even happen. So it's obviously worth it in the, in the long run. Like, it took us, what, almost 10 years? of crossing over the border and up until the point we actually came to this company like there was no real like income off professional wrestling like it was just such a daunting process to be able to build our names up to be able to get the opportunity to get the paperwork just to be like yep you can cross the border with no problems there's no right answer honestly uh it's making my armpit sweat to even talk about it <laughs> so yeah sorry get scott to love you no it's all right josh can answer this one better I run a wrestling school in Canada and I like all my students they want to obviously do all this stuff and I I tell them not to do what I did not to do what Ethan did like we were obsessed we just took every risk possible and luckily we didn't get banned which would have completely screwed up any opportunity for us to be here right now talking yeah. to you guys uh, my suggestion now for everybody is to be the biggest fish in whatever small pond you can be in Canada make the biggest name for yourself so that when you you do get booked on these small independent shows. You are booked against people like Ethan or people like Eddie Edwards that might get booked and brought in. So like you can network and make yourself better in those small ponds and then hopefully somebody recognizes you. The only issue is like there's just not enough eyes on all these shows. There's some of the best wrestlers in the world that you'll never see, which is unfortunate. But, you know, hopefully through these streaming services and stuff for the independent wrestling shows, more people will see it. So that's the best thing I can say. Thank you. Thank you very much, Justin, for joining me at the top of the show to talk the news today. Thank you to Danhausen, a member of WrestleMania, goes down WrestleMania weekend. And uh, thank you to the North, who are still the Impact Wrestling Tag Team Champions. Uh, Ethan Page, he wrestled with Salmonella poisoning at, uh, at Hard to Kill. Did you see that, that bit on Twitter? I did. He sat on the toilet, like, the whole day, went out, did it, and then he wound up in the hospital the next day. That's commitment to uh, representing the, the Tag Team Championships of your brand, for sure. 100 that's hardcore hardcore good he didn't poop his pants uh did you see willie max like first of all they did a doomsday canadian destroyer spot in that match did you catch that mm, i did oh, man ethan wild page, ethan page had willie mack up on his shoulders he got to poop his pants at the same time <laughs> drama <laughs> uh <laughs> i'm sure this is how ethan wanted me to close the interview uh close the interview thank you ethan thank you josh thank you impact wrestling for the time and the access uh we'll be back on tuesday uh where we will openly talk about the future of the show and what is going on and everything involved uh we're thinking globally that's a biodome reference um so huge news uh check it out monday on the site before raw can't wait to drop it 
Uh, also, um, uh, oh wait, that's uh, that. Well, if you want to support the show right now, yeah, go over to Wrestling League Audio on iTunes, five star ratings, um, and uh, and nice comments. Always appreciate on the page. Now, uh, Justin, I'm going to throw it to you after I do my little outro here. Uh, we will toss it here to the Rocky Johnson interview, uh, which if you haven't heard it, I hope you enjoy. And if you've heard it before and you're just looking for a moment of reflection on Rocky, I hope you enjoy it again. So, Justin, what do you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the show today? Give me a follow. And, yeah, I'm excited uh, Excited for the news to come out next Monday. And uh, good good things happening for uh, for, for, for this show. And, and, and that's a testament to all the people that just keep supporting it and keep, keep listening. So that's great. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I am at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you very much for tuning in. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. My guest at this time is a WWE Hall of Famer, multi-time NWA champion. His autobiography, Soul Man, The Rocky Johnson Story, will be available for purchase starting October 15th, 2019. It is Soul Man, Rocky Johnson. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Rocky. You know what? It's a pleasure. I'm really going to enjoy this. It's, yeah. a, it's a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, well, absolutely. Like I told you just before we got uh, on the interview here, I finished your book this morning. Highly recommend it to all wrestling. I just I recommend it to people. You have an incredible story, Rocky. And I got to ask, how did you get The Rock to write the foreword for your book? I just talked to him, and we sat down and talked, and I said, just put it the way you want to put it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just write it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what to say and what not to say. And he did it. Man, I was just kidding with you. Of course, that's your son, right? It was really nice. Yeah, right. Yeah. Have you had I a knew ch- you were. Have, yeah. you, uh, have you had a chance to read the foreword? What did you think of what he wrote? I thought it was great. I think he wrote it from the heart. Wonderful. Uh, well, one of the things that you start off with really quickly and becomes like a running thread throughout your whole book is like insane ribs uh, that you and your generation would pull on each other. Why? Why were ribs... Back in your day, so much crazier, I feel like, than anything I ever hear about now. Well, you could get away with it. Like, they would nail your shoes to the floor, uh, put honey in your shoes, show your pant legs together, change uh, the lock on your locker and stuff like that. Then it got, then it got too far out of shape. And uh, that's, when Vince, that's when Vince Sr. put a stop to it. I, I mean, I've had him put itching powder in my trunks. Where I had to leave the ring and go hit the shower right away, and they they thought it was a big joke. But then when Ben Senior, uh, Junior, or Senior did too, took over, that he made everybody cut the ribs out. You know. Oh man, yeah. Highlights, uh, definitely several highlights in the book for me were were some of the crazy stuff you guys did with each other. You know, um, but you know, starting off here, you know, the book kind of it bounces around a little bit. It's not really necessarily a, a completely linear story, but you do start off talking about your own parents. How hard was it for you to recollect all that stuff and, and be so honest about what your childhood was like? It was, it wasn't, it was hard. I didn't know if I was going to put it in or not, but I said, you know, I'm going to put everything in. So, you know, my dad died when I was 12 years old and then I left Nova Scotia at 14 and went to Toronto and everything started from there. Yeah. But it wasn't too hard to talk about like, you know, uh, my mother really loved me. My dad did too. And I think the last words you said was take care of me. That's my mother told me. And I had a great mother. She was a hardworking woman. And she got a boyfriend. And I didn't care much for him. And he didn't care much for me. You know, he thought I was like a piece of luggage hanging around. So I think the best best for me to go and, and you know, do what I had to do. So, but, uh, you know, I, I do miss him. And, uh, I, you know, they're my family, my parents. So I'm always going to remember them. 
Yeah. And, you know, you did. You left the, the home at such a young age. I think it was like 14, you said, you took off to Toronto. Like, you know, what did you learn having to, to go face the world at such a young age like you did? I had to learn how to survive. That was the first thing. And when I got to Toronto, I got, went and got a job at, uh, at the car wash for 90 cents an hour, but you got paid every day. Yeah. So I always had a few dollars in my pocket. Uh, I went to start a training at Trinity Recreation Center because you didn't have to pay. It was just a, a dump of the gym, but at least it was a gym. And then when I got started making money, I joined the YMCA for seven bucks a month. And that's when I took training series and started boxing and trying to figure, get into wrestling, how I was going to get in it and stuff like that. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about your time as a boxer, and, I mean, you've got some famous boxing friends, George Foreman, Muhammad Ali. I mean, what were these relationships yeah. like? Why do you think you bonded so quickly with the with these guys? I don't know. I met uh, Muhammad Ali in Toronto when he was still Cassius Clay. He was getting ready to fight George Vela. Yeah. And I went down to Sully Sullivan's gym because I knew Sully Sullivan. And, I, you know, I was messing around boxing a little bit, and uh, – we got to talking, and then it was just like we knew each other for 50 years. And then we clicked, you know. And then when I was in California, I met George Foreman. He was getting ready to fight. with actually sparred with him because he was getting ready to fight Joe Frazier for the world's title. And he lived in Oakland, and I lived like three miles away in Hayward. He used to knock on my door, and we'd go running in the mornings. So I got to know him real well. Man. But I just had that urge. I had that wrestling in my system. Man, that's so crazy. Cause and I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. And I didn't, uh, I didn't understand why of all the blacks or whites or anybody in Canada that I became a professional wrestler. Then I went back and I talked to one of my family and they said that my uncle from years ago used to wrestle uh, in the carnival. Uh, wrestle guy uh, out of the crowd, they invite him in the ring. And if you could stay 10 minutes with him, you got five bucks or something like that. And what I heard that, you know, nobody's ever beat him. You know, because so, I often wonder why of all the people, especially the Afro-Canadians or whatever you want to call us, uh, why I was the only one that really went on to make something in the wrestling business, you being know, Canadian. Man, it's crazy because, like, you talk about your carnival roots. And, you you know, I've read quite a few wrestling books in my time. You did something that I've never seen. And you give, you give away how to speak Carney in the book. Like you tell people how to do it. That was, that's so like you burned the curtain down there. I mean, were you nervous? Well, no, I didn't burn the curtain. I let the, the people already knew they just wanted to be, we call them marks. Nowadays you call them smart marks, sure. you know, and uh, we just learned to, to, to talk it. And uh, I just put in the book what I thought was, you know, the, the good, the bad, the ugly. I didn't, you know, pulling punches, a lot of things I didn't put in the book that I should have, but I didn't want to get too deep, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, and you talk about, you know, your training here and coming in and how, you know, it's interesting because reading about how you were trained and, and brought into the business, it's really different than how wrestlers are trained and brought into the business now. And a lot of the secrets of the business were held back from you early on, it sounds like. Do you wish there was still more of oh. that in professional wrestling? I'm sorry. I'm saying, do you, do you wish that more secrets were held back from wrestlers who were getting into the business? Or are you fine with how open it, everything is now? I'm fine with it with with them, but uh, what they're doing. But in my day, it was a, a, a lot different, and I think they really a lot a lot of too much showmanship in it today the, the than in our day. And I mean, in our day, they didn't even smart me up. I went to Calgary, Sue Hart's dungeon. I got stretched. He broke a blood vessel in my eye. I I kept going back, 
and he respected that. And and we learned, and you know, we were a bond. We were professional wrestlers. But nowadays, you can take a kid 160 pounds and pay $200 a month and go to a wrestling school, and you're a professional wrestler. Yeah, and and what was that process like for you when you went from? Because you know, you talk about how you're getting stretched and put through all the rigors and everything like that. But at a certain point, the the levy has to break, and and you know what's going on here. What was that process like of really fully starting to understand? the business of professional wrestling. Well, they made, first, first of all, they didn't smarten you up because they made you respect and appreciate the business. Right. Stu Hart did, and I owe a lot of credit to him. And after he's seen, uh, I mean, I seen them take them retired football players from Calgary and Vancouver and come down and they thought they were big and tough and he'd make them pass out. And he'd take them to the extreme where he'd break something, but he wouldn't, but they wouldn't come back. And I, I went back because I figured, what else am I going to do? Get a job driving a truck or something? <laughs> and I kept going back. But they made you respect the business, which I think today it has no respect in it. And, and they draw fantastic. I mean, they draw millions and millions of people. Uh, but how long is it going to last? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we get back to that here in a little bit, too, when we, we talk about the roads. Um, but, you know, one of the things also, and another theme that comes up, like, consistently through the book is how how you wanted to be different and how you didn't want to be like a lot of the other black wrestlers that were stereotyped at the time. Can you talk a little bit a bit about how... Yeah, I didn't wrestling... want... Uh, yeah. When I went to Tennessee, they had them stereotyped. When I, when I wrestled, I always considered myself an athlete and a wrestler, even though it was a work, but I kept myself in shape, kept my body in shape, and I worked out every day and I trained. And I went down there, they had them on TV, eating watermelon, fried chicken, then uh, when they lost their TV because they took this black guy and a couple of wrestlers held him in the ring and they poured uh, a honey all over him. Then they cut a pillow and put their feathers all on him and then they lit the match like they were going to tire and feather him. I wasn't going to play that game. You know, I wasn't no Uncle Tom and I never was going to be. But then, then they didn't have no choice. It was either that or they weren't going to use him. Yeah. And, you know, you talk. I, but... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just let them know that I don't play that game. Yeah, and you know, you talk- I came in as an athlete, and I'm going to leave as an athlete, whether it's today, six months from now, or two months. And that's when I became the first black Southern heavyweight champ they ever had. Yeah, and, and you talk, you know, especially about Ole Anderson, you know, and how he used the N-word one time in a shouting match with you, and you heard him use it again down the road. You know, was, was he uh, the exception to the rule, or was that kind of blatant racism, something you, that was common for you in this? That situation? was him. He, he was probably the biggest racist. Races in, in the wrestling business. Yeah. You know, but he would let you know. You know, he didn't like me. I didn't like him. You know, he called me names. I called him names, but he never threw any punches. You know, a couple times in the ring, he tried to get stiff with me, but he found out it didn't work because I, I stood my ground. If you're going to beat me, you're going to beat me for real, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. I just he, wondered. he was not a well-liked person in this business. I'm not knocking him or anything like that because I heard he was in a wheelchair now and everything. So, you know, I wish him nothing but the best, but he was just a funny, funny guy. He wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. Well, understandable. He doesn't sound like it. it sounds like he was a real dick. Right. <laughs> so... Yeah, he was. 14 kids. Um, well, you know, it was fun, too, because the book, you know, again, I, I don't want to give away too many of the stories and stuff like that. I'm just trying to take a 10,000, you know, foot view of this thing here. You talk a lot about the different territories that you, you moved around in. You know, how different was the, the system that you came up in as compared to what we now know is like are considered to be the independent pro wrestling scene? 
Okay, well, the system when I came up is every territory, you had to have a black, a white. Uh, it's like if you went to Texas, you had to have one, somebody that was a cowboy and if you, or, or one that was from Mexico, you know. So, and there wasn't that many Afro-Americans in the business at the time. So I moved around a lot, but every time I moved around, I made money. You know, they brought me in just not as a stereotype. And I said, if you're going to do something with me, I'll come in. But I'm not going to come in and work open a match and you guys are going to beat me every night. That's not going to happen. And they said, no, 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 no. That's not what we got in mind. We need you. Because I was in an area where there wasn't that many blacks in the business. So I could pretty much call my own shot. Yeah, and, and you talk about one of my favorite parts of the book, too, is when you talk about going to Japan for the first time, uh, getting to work heel there, the respect you were shown. But you also noted how it kind of it wasn't the same way when Japanese wrestlers would come to the States. They didn't get the same kind of respect you, you saw over no, there. They never give the Japanese any respect when they came over here. But you went over there. They treated us like gold. They take us out every night to the steakhouse, uh, uh, buys the beers or we drank or whatever we wanted. They, they treat us great when we when we left. They they give us a bonus. They would give you a set of pearls. They give you a suitcase. They give you a sweatsuit. And they say, here's a set of pearls for your wife or your girlfriend. You know, they treat us with great respect. Yeah, and, and why do but you... When the Japanese, but when the Japanese came over here, it was a whole new different story, you know. Yeah, yeah and it still kind of feels like that. I feel like the American audience still is struggling to figure out to or completely embrace Japanese wrestling and culture. I mean, it, it's been better here in the past couple of years, but you still see guys like Shinsuke come to WWE and they don't really connect, you know? Yeah, no, that people go back, I guess, to the war or whatever. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, you know, you got to walk on your toes and walk frontwards, not on your heels and go backwards. But when I, I seen that over here, I seen some... I worked with guys in Japan that were champions and they came over here for six months or a year and they treated them like garbage. Um, now you said in the, in the, in the book, uh, that you weren't a big fan of Lucha Libre, uh, but you did really like the Japanese style. Why, why were you never taken by Lucha? Why was I never taken? Yeah. Why did you never take to, to Lucha Libre? It was, it seemed like you, that was something you noted. And I just kind of want to ask you about that. There was no, it was that, I had my own mind made up. I was going to do my own thing. I wasn't going to uh, copy from this guy or copy from that guy. I was, you know, I, I went down to the gym by myself many times and practiced, and I put punching bags down. I learned how to flip over them, land on my feet. I went to the uh, to the swimming pool, got on the diving board, learned how to do backflips and go in the water on my feet. Then I did all that in the ring. Yeah. So their style. Well, first of all, they work on the wrong side. They say we work on the wrong side. They do everything from the right, right hand side. We do it from the left. But you know, their style is all flying. Nobody sold nothing. And, and I was partners with Mil Mascaris. We were champions for about a year in Los Angeles. Yeah. And we got over good because we had two different styles. You know, mm -hmm. the people respected his style when he was in the ring, and when I came in, they respected mine. Man. Uh, well, uh, kind of jumping around here a little bit as well. Um, obviously, you and Peter Maivia, you tagged together. You were friends. Talk a little, uh, talk to me and the listeners a little bit about what Peter's reaction was when he found out that you were dating his daughter. He didn't. He didn't like it at first because he knew that he, wrestlers had uh, girlfriends in every town, you know, and he didn't want his daughter being that resistant. But he found he he, he adapted to it. He caught on when he found out that that we were in love and I wasn't running around on her. And we ended up uh, getting married. And uh, 
me and him became the best of friends. We traveled together, we drank together, partied together, and wrestled together. Man, that's a good relationship. A lot of people would be envious of that with their father-in-law. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot more. Yeah, but yeah. What did you know, it... me and him? Uh, yeah. One thing that bothered me, he was in Texas, and he was a Texas champion. I was in California, and he called me to come because he wanted to be uh, near his daughter and and his grandson Dwayne. And I said, okay. So I went into Texas, and I stayed a week. And he was a champion. So the second week, they took the belt from him. And then the third week, they give it to me. And I kind of felt awkward about that, you know. Yeah. But it didn't seem it didn't bother him a bit, you know. Sure. Um, well, you know, uh, what are, you, one of the things you write about later in the book was, uh, you know, Peter's final moment there. What did, it, what did it mean for you to have him tell you that he loved you be- right before he passed away? It, uh, I can't describe it because I broke out with goosebumps and cold chills because he was laying there dying. And he said, you know, I won't see you alive no more. And I, I told him, yeah, I know. Because I went to see him before, uh, I was in Oregon, and I went to see him before he passed when he was in the hospital with cancer. And he said, take care of my wife and my daughter and grandson. And I said, I will. And then I was, I left, and two weeks later, I went back to Portland. Two weeks later, he passed. But my wife and boy went back for the funeral. I didn't want to go back and see him after he passed away because he wouldn't know if I was there or whatever. And, I wanted to see him while he was still living, and he he still it was he still had his mind, you know, together. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, your your son, Dwayne the Rock, very famous man, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You talk about how when he was a kid, he obviously like really took to you and the wrestling stuff, but you know, you were kind of hopeful he wouldn't become a wrestler. Why why were you hopeful that he would maybe pick a different route? Because I didn't want him to go through what I had to go through. I didn't, like he said later, Dad, you were a pioneer. You paved the roads for other wrestlers, mostly the blacks. So, you know, but he said, you paved the road. He said, I don't think I could have done it. I said, yeah, you could if you had no choice. I didn't have a choice. So I kind of discouraged him. I didn't know there was going to be such a big change like it is now, you know. Yeah. And, you know. But I said, okay, I'll train you, but I'll train you. 150 percent and then and I, I trained him and the rest is history what were some of the things that he took quickly to and what were some of the stuff that was harder for him to understand i don't think there was anything harder because he grew up in the wrestling business and uh, when the vcr's face first came out with the tapes he he would uh we set up a camera and he's sitting in the in his bedroom, he'd do interviews and he'd talk about, I'm Hulk Hogan, I'm Rocky Johnson, I'm Jimmy Snooker. And then every night we'd hear crash, we'd go in the room, he'd be on the dresser doing backflips from the dresser to the bed, breaking the bed every night. So I think, it was, I think like you told me, when he was in football and, uh, you know, and he won the national championship and that, and he said, he, later on he told me that he just used that as a stepping stone to get where he wanted to go make his first step and get a college education. And that's what he did. Yeah. And, you know, can you uh, just just to kind of wrap up one, one more thing about him? You know, one of the things I thought that you wrote about and were very transparent about was like now that he's so super famous, you have like a million friends and all these people think that they can just like ask things. Oh, yeah. Of I you got and friends now I don't even know. <laughs> and I get them on the end. I, I get there, they're either texting me or Sheila. Uh, saying, you don't remember me, but I did this. And everybody's got a business proposal. And all it takes is 50000 
all it takes is a hundred thousand and we can make a million bucks. You know, I said, well, I got a million bucks, so I, I don't need to go into anything because half of them, I don't know who I'm talking to. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I have them. Uh, she, I have, especially Sheila, my wife, she has them where, the, where they're calling and saying, well, he don't remember me, but I'm his kid from 40 years ago, stuff like that, you know. Well, I'm, I used to be his girlfriend, and, and they still do that today. They'll call her and tell her, well, I'm his girlfriend. I went out with him 30 years ago. Maybe they did. I don't know. But why, but why are you bringing it up now, you know? Man, the shamelessness of people. I'll never, uh, I'll never, uh, I'll never be surprised. Under- I guess, you know. Yeah, right. I'll never understand it either. Um, well, I wanted to ask you a little bit here. You know, obviously, it's a big uh, time right now in pro wrestling. There's like a big, you know, they're calling it a war that's about to shape up here with the sons of Vince McMahon Senior and Dusty or Dusty Rhodes. Their kids going head to head here. Um, what was what was it like working with? Let's start with Dusty Rhodes here. What was it like working with Dusty? And are you surprised to see his son picking up the torch and running the way he has in the business? No, I'm not. And it was great working with Dusty. We were tag team champions in Florida, and we switched back and forth to Florida heavyweight belt and all that. And now that his son got a chance with this elite wrestling, and I think they start next Wednesday, and they've got the capital and everything. The point is, it's like I, I had talked with them, and I probably could have worked for him, you know, teaching psychology and that, but I'm not interested anymore. But the point is, no matter how much money you got, you ain't got talent, you're not going to draw. But they're smart enough that they're getting these independents and they'll get over in the school where they're going to develop their own talent. Yeah. What do you... I I think think it's it's going to be good, the wrestling war, because I think it's going to be good for the guys, but I think a lot of them are going to jump ship from WWE. Um, one of the things I was definitely noticing as well when I was reading your book, you talk intimately about your relationships with uh, the different promoters that you worked for. For you, what what makes for a good wrestling promoter? A good wrestling promoter is one that treats you with respect and treats you as a human being. Now, I worked for promoters that I couldn't stand. I worked for promoters that couldn't stand me, but they knew they put my name up there. I would sell out for them, you know. Rory Shire says, with Bearcat Wright, he said, I couldn't stand him, but I knew I didn't have to to, uh, sleep with him. I didn't have to ride with him. I didn't have to eat with him. And all I had to do was put his name up there, and he'd automatically sell sell the cow pedals out, which hold 20,000 people. Yeah. So to me, a good promoter is one that will treat you with respect, give you respect. You also give it in return. You know, that don't mean you got to go eat with them or you got to go visit them or, or stuff like that. A lot of promoters, like with Vince, I've heard, he'll tell guys, I can make anybody in here. I can, in which he can, and I can close, I can fire everybody and open up tomorrow and I'll still draw money, which he probably could. I'm not knocking that. But yeah. to me, that's not a good promoter. You got to have a good rapport with every, whoever you're with. Uh, well, speaking of promoters, you know, I thought a really cool part of the book, too, was you talking about being in the room uh, for a meeting with Vince McMahon Sr. And Vince McMahon Jr. was doing a lot of the talking, and you could kind of tell he was starting to take over uh, more control oh, yeah. within the company. Yeah, He was doing uh, he was doing an announcing, man, and we were in the room with the meeting, and, and Vince did all the talking, and you go ask Vince Sr. a question, where I just sent my listen, and Vince Jr. would answer. You, you could see that he was getting more 
more and more and more powerful. And his dad was probably one of the greatest men I ever met. I was there when he passed away. And then Vince Jr. took over. And he had big dreams, which we all did. And he proved his dreams. He not only took over the wrestling business, he said, I'm going to take the world. And he did. Are you a fan? You know, to him, I, I went to Africa. I went to Arabia. I went to Egypt. I went to London. I went to Ireland. I mean, you name it, I've been there. Are you a fan of the direction that Vince Jr. took the, the pro wrestling business? No. No? What, what would well, be your... I don't. I don't want to get into it, though. <laughs> okay. All right, fine. Then we won't. Uh, all right. Uh, I really kind of got two little things here I wanted to, to ask you about before we wrap it up. I want to thank you for the time, Rocky. Uh, another cool My part... My pleasure. Another really cool part of the book. You talk about your brief time as a trainer uh, for the WWE and putting together... Your son, The Rock, and Hulk Hogan's infamous WrestleMania 18 match. What was it like helping to put that match together? And as you're putting it together, did you expect it to become this huge, crazy, iconic moment that it has become in professional wrestling? I thought it was because we were in Davie, Florida, and I opened the Wrestling Academy for New York. It's called SmackDown Wrestling Academy. That's why they have SmackDown Tuesday night now. Oh, okay. Because Lane went in with that. I had that. We brought Brock Lesnar in. You know, just to sharpen them up. Uh, Dwayne wrestled Hogan in Toronto. Hogan uh, came up for like four or five days. They worked everything out. I knew it was going to be big. I didn't know it was going to be that big. <laughs> but, you know, they had two great athletes, and there was no animosity. There was no, uh, I'm winning, you're winning. They, they did what they thought would draw money, and, and it worked. Man, yeah. That was and incredible. Hogan was an icon, and he still is to this day, you know. Yeah, man. And, he had no problem giving my son the belt, you know. Yeah, man, that's that was... that's what you call a true professional. Uh, well, lastly, here, I mean, obviously, you know, you had your big Hall of Fame moment. You know, what was that like for you to to get there, and especially to have your son be the one to induct you like that? It was great, and it was not great. It was great that they acknowledge you that you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. They give you a ring, they give you a big plaque, and they give you a. To me, it's a send off. You know, it's over. That's the end. Yeah. You know, but I knew that anyway. That my, my, my wrestling was finished. Like I told him, next time you see me, it'll be in a tape on TV. Do you, do you think that there should be an obligation from Vince or other – I mean, Vince is really the biggest dog in the room when it comes to promoting. Do you think there should be an obligation on his part to do more to help wrestlers once they move past the ring? I think he should. But this is, uh, this is like any other sport. When you're no more good to them and they can't use you, they'll find somebody else. Like in football, the quarterback or somebody breaks their leg or breaks their arm, the game don't stop. They bring in the second string, third string, fourth string. Well, that's the same with wrestling. When you're going down or you're finished, and uh, they always got a replacement in mind. This is like take football, take baseball. You have backups. You have number one starter. You have number two. You have number three. Well, they it's the same thing in wrestling. They know you go out and you get hurt. Then they got to sit down at the table, put their heads together, and figure a different angle. But wrestling doesn't stop; it still goes on. Maybe it doesn't draw as much. Maybe it takes it takes time to build somebody up. But they usually keep like with me and Dusty Rhodes. It was here. We were partners. We were everything. And and if I got had it got hurt, it still went on because he went on as a single. And if he got hurt, they would have pushed me, and they would have pushed somebody in with me. You know, so they they know. You know, you got to think the promoters know the business. Yeah, 
and the boys are just checkers in our chess and, and uh, Pong in the chess game or checkers in the checker game. You move, they move, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if fans want to hear all about that, again, uh, we just gave you a 10,000-foot view of this book. Uh, you are very detailed uh, with some of the funny tricks that promoters played on you and other wrestlers uh, in your time. Right. And uh, if fans want to go find the book, Soul Man, the Rocky Johnson story, it comes out October 15th, 2019. Rocky, I'll let you send us home here. Why do you think people should go buy this book? Yes, uh, they can buy it on, on Amazon. Uh, you can buy it at Barnes & Nobles. I'll be doing uh, autograph signings all through Canada and the United States. You can go on Rocky Johnson, just Rocky Johnson on Facebook. Just You don't have to put .com or nothing, and, and you can pull it up. Or you can go on Rocky Johnson bellself.com and uh, there won't be, shouldn't be any problem uh, getting the book prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed subscription required individual results may vary additional restrictions apply at lifemd.com read all warnings before using GLP-1s side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer if you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.